This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dave at thenewyorkbudget.com. And when I'm not breakdancing on the subway for money, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're all about the blockchain, baby. Here to dig into the birth of a spanking new cryptocurrency, we welcome the CEO of Kinesis Money, Thomas Coughlin. Plus, in our headline segment, what does Vanguard think about Fidelity's new no-fee funds? We'll share. And in our second headline, believe it or not, some kind of good news out of Wells Fargo. Of course, we'll still have time for my trivia and throw out the Haven Lifeline to John, who wants to know what he should focus on if he's having trouble coming up with concrete goals. Hey, <laughs> speaking of concrete... Two guys who Joe's mom calls a couple of blockheads, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I suppose that's better than being a blockchain head. When I think of blockheads, I think of Lucy from Charlie Brown. You're a blockhead, Charlie Brown. I think of aren't That's those such an insult circa seventh nineteen seventy. Aren't those those candies my kids ate? Blockheads? No, those are airheads. 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 Yes, and yes. I might be an airhead for not getting that right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an airhead because I didn't even introduce us. Hey, I'm Joe Salci. I ever show money on Twitter, and across from me, not the fake OG on Twitter, the real, the one, the only, the other guy, or as we call him, lovingly OG. The original gangster is what you mean to say. That is what I meant to say. Yeah, and do lovingly and original gangsta go together? Gangsta. 
Absolutely. Right. You know, gangsters have a full head of hair, OG. We got to thank Nutrafol for supporting Stacky Benjamins. <laughs> Nutrafol is a vitamin made from botanical ingredients that helps improve hair health from within. I've been taking mine for a while now. Get your first month supply with a subscription plan for 10 bucks by visiting Nutrafol.com and using promo code SB during checkout. Thanks to them for being our new sponsor. And by the way, I said to Cheryl, you know, they tell you it's like three to six months until your hair looks better. And I said to Cheryl, I'm like, you want to, I think my hair's getting stronger. She said, you're an idiot. They say three to six months on the box for a reason. Yeah. Not three to six days. Right. You've taken it for a few days and I'm like, but seriously, I think it's stronger. Your hair does look softer and stronger. It, Joe, it, here. it is. Let me touch it. Hold on. Thanks to, please don't. Thanks to Slack. To, to, don't touch my now just incredibly full head of hair. Thanks to Slack for supporting Stacky Benjamins as well. Slack's the collaboration hub that we use for work to make sure the right people in our team are always in the loop. It can be the same for your team. And key information is always at your fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. We love Slack and uh, we love having hair. So there we go. All right. We also love the fact that we got a brand new week of shows for you this week. Tom Coughlin is going to tell us about how they're making a new cryptocurrency. And it's funny talking to Tom. Dude's a little passionate about what he does. All these people in blockchain, OG, pretty, pretty passionate when you talk to them. And this will be our first time, by the way, having a featured interview with somebody in the blockchain arena. Tom Coughlin from Kinesis waiting uh, upstairs talking to mom. But first, we got some headlines, so let's get it started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from financialplanning.com, where financial nerds like OG and I hang out. You know, we spend our week there. It's all we do. 70% of our week. That is pretty much it. Trolling the comment boards at financialplanning.com. <laughs> <laughs> writing first on every article or <laughs> I have nothing to add. I'm just commenting so that I follow this. First. thread. Yeah. yeah. Last Following. week we had, his mom calls it all the scuttlebutt out of fidelity, fidelity with their two new zero fee funds. And the first thing everybody wondered was actually the headline of this piece. Vanguard unlikely to respond to fidelity's new no fee funds. Surprising. They just said, fine, you win. There's more that meets the eye when it comes to the free funds unveiled by Fidelity Investments this week, according to Vanguard Chief Investment Officer Greg Davis. By the way, this is written by Annie Massa at Bloomberg News. Vanguard's rivals stoked the investing industry price war last week by offering two no-fee index funds to retail customers and cutting costs on others. Because Vanguard's already aggressively lowered fees on index products, Davis says he sees no reason to be phased by Fidelity's offering. Quote, investors always have to ask themselves when they see an offering like this, quote, what's the catch, he said. The question becomes, what else are investors going to be charged in other products? Dude's laying it down. Hey, these might be free, but what's the catch? Well, we talked about that, though. It is a loss leader, and they hope that they make it up on all the rest of the stuff. There totally is a catch on the end. Fidelity wants to get you into their ecosystem, right? Get you buying all their other stuff. And by the way, when it comes to all the stuff out there, OG, let's just be clear. 
Vanguard is best in class when it comes to fees. Fidelity's fees. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, not bad. And definitely even even better. But even before they made this change, they weren't egregious. Vanguard, the Valley Forge, Pennsylvania-based fun giant, with about $5.1 trillion under management and competitors such as BlackRock and Charles Schwab have been reducing fees on index mutual funds and ETFs as investors increasingly shift away from costlier, actively run products. Vanguard's average expense ratio. Get this. What do you think their average expense ratio is? Vanguard, uh, 0.15. 0.11. Nice job. Yeah. Or 11 cents a year per $100 invested. Compare with the industry's mean, what do you think the industry average is? 0.65. Once again, nice job. Very close. According to company data, Fidelity's announcements unlikely to spur any immediate reaction from Vanguard, Davis said. Quote, do we pay attention to the competitive environment? Absolutely. Are we reactive to what one competitor does? Absolutely not, he said. I want to stop right there and we'll link to the rest of this piece at stackybedjamins.com. I love that quote though, OG. I love that quote. Do we look at the competitive environment? Absolutely. Do we respond to one thing that happens? Absolutely not. And this, this is a tripwire we see that institutions don't trip over. The individual investors do, right? They'll read something, they'll have a stomach ache, they'll eat something bad for lunch, and all of a sudden they change the whole strategy. Vanguard says, no, 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 we got our game. Do we pay attention? Yes. Do we go, oh no, Fidelity's lowering fees? No, not so much. They're going to be okay, basically. They might end up all right. <laughs> Vanguard might yeah. be all right. Well, but this is the thing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, there is an ever-increasing pie. There's always people to help. It doesn't matter whether the fees are zero or 0.1 or whatever the case may be. There's always people to help. And so you don't have to worry about what your neighbor is doing. You don't have to worry about what your competitor is doing. In our business, I know sometimes it gets real frustrating. You talk to somebody and they choose not to work with you. You know, I can't imagine why in my case. But you have to recognize, I think, as a professional that there's always new people that need help. And so I like Vanguard's approach to this, which is we're good. We've got our space. We can still help people this way. And Fidelity says, here's how we're going to help people. We're going to have this product that people are going to come in and then they're going to come into our, like you said, our our ecosphere. And, and then we can help them with other things there. As we said last Monday, it's just better for all investors. Neither one of these companies are industry laggards. I love watching these two heavyweights, though, throw punches at each other. It's it's good for everybody. Our second headline comes to us from Napa-Net. That's the National Association of Plan Advisors, Napa-Net.org. This is written by Nevin Adams. Wells Fargo wins. <laughs> we talked all last week about Wells Fargo losing. Wells Fargo wins again in a proprietary target date fund self-dealing lawsuit. A lawsuit that's changed. Boy, that is that is a mouthful. I know. Proprietary target date fund self-dealing. A lawsuit that is charged plan fiduciaries with engaging in a, quote, practice of self-dealing and imprudent investing of plan assets by funneling billions of dollars into a series of proprietary target date funds has come up short again. Uh, the suit's been brought by John Miners, a participant in Wells Fargo's 401k retirement plan, who charged that of the 26 to 27 investment options in the plan, a dozen were Wells Fargo Dow Jones target date funds managed by Wells Fargo, a Wells Fargo subsidiary. 
The original suit filed in November 2016 alleged not only that Wells Fargo target date funds cost on average more than two and a half times what comparable target date funds cost, but also that they substantially and consistently underperformed comparable funds. Moreover, he alleged that the plan fiduciaries designed and maintained a system to maximize the amount of plan assets invested into those funds by defaulting certain participant contributions into those same Wells Fargo target date funds and encouraging participants to purchase the funds through a, quote, easy and, quote, quick enrollment feature. Hey, you want to enroll in your 401k quickly here at Wells Fargo? Uh, We're going to slap you into this Wells Fargo fund that's an underperformer, and we're going to crank up the fees. Bada boom, bada bing. That's how we make a buck. You're going to love it. (laughs) Now, obviously... Wells Fargo ended up winning this this lawsuit. They say that Miners failed to make his case when in considering Wells Fargo's motion to dismiss Judge David Dottie of the U.S. District Court for the District of Considered Minnesota. how much contributions to her re-election campaign Wells Fargo provided. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. District of Minnesota. He noted he was inclined to agree with Wells Fargo that the allegations that Wells Fargo breached his fiduciary duty by continuing to invest in its own TDFs when better performing funds were available, lower costs were, quote, insufficient to plausibly allege a breach of fiduciary duty. He dismissed claims that the Wells Fargo target date funds underperformed, finding that the Fidelity and Vanguard funds offered as benchmarks amounted to comparing apples and oranges. Huh? Huh? How so? So they, they brought the much lower cost Fidelity and Vanguard funds as benchmarks. That's not even close to the same thing. This thing charges way more. That's not a good comparison. There's no way. Of course, that's going to have a little bit better performance when it's all index-based and it's the only expense is the expense ratio. Those are funds that are usually best in class. What are you talking about? Why do you want to use those as a comparison? You should find some crappy ones to compare. Doty noted that the Wells Fargo funds have a higher allocation of bonds than the Vanguard funds and that it does not necessarily follow that the Wells Fargo funds were substandard compared to the Vanguard funds, nor does it follow that Wells Fargo's decision-making process was flawed. Is it more expensive to buy bonds than it is to buy stocks? I don't, I don't think so. So higher, yeah, Maybe at the institutional level. High, higher allocation of bonds. Uh, interesting. This said, let's get away from the lawsuit because we don't know anything about how this lawsuit went down exactly all the details of the lawsuit. So let's get away from that. But let's just make this statement. If if you're trying to use a target date fund, target date funds are a fine place to start, but they are horrible. By and large, target date funds have higher fees than most other funds out there. The asset allocation, the way the funds are diversified, they're diversified according to some rule of thumb, not based on your goals. If you're going to go that way at all, a service like Bloom is usually far less expensive and also, by the way, managed according to your particular goals using your exact 401k funds. But you can also diversify it yourself and it ain't that hard. I have nothing to add, Your Honor. You are right. I love it when you say that. That happens like once every six months. Say that again. Once is enough. All right. I'll take what I can get. Hey, uh, so I think our lessons here, number one, target date funds, um, maybe a decent place to start, but you can do way better. And then second, some big news happened. You're thinking about reacting to it. Maybe use Vanguard as an example. Do what you do. Do it well. 
CEO of Kinesis, Tom Coughlin, waiting in the wings, OG. Tom's worked in the investment, fund management, and Boolean industries for about 15 years. His professional portfolio management career has been all over the place, working with Track Financial, establishing a highly successful absolute return fund, and more. He's worked collaboratively in the complex systems of a cross-border international Boolean market with an extensive global network of central bankers, bankers, brokers, fund managers, and advisors. I think those are all things that you need when you're trying to establish a new cryptocurrency from kinesis.money, telling us how difficult it is to birth a new cryptocurrency and what this stuff is all about. Let's say hello to Tom Coughlin. And walking down the steps, Tom Coughlin. How are you, man? I'm good, thanks, Joe. How are you? Well, good. I'm so glad you could include us on your tour, teaching people about Kinesis. And before we get to you, I want to ask about crypto in general, because we don't talk a lot. Well, we do. We talk about the headlines and things happening in crypto all the time. But what made you first interested in cryptocurrencies in general? I wouldn't say I have a great affinity to cryptocurrencies, but um, it's actually the technology behind it which got me interested in it. So it's the blockchain technology, ultimately connecting one party with another party wherever they are in the world in a trustless and anonymous and liberated environment. So that's what got me interested in it. And ultimately, I mean, the background I come from is finance and also precious metals. So through uh, another business, call it, uh, you might want to call it the mother business, um, where Kinesis was born from, Well, it's a precious metals exchange, a global precious metals exchange. We operate in the institutional environment, connecting institutional traders and brokers, connecting them together all over the world. We have over 100 institutional traders, and they're some of the largest entities in the world in the precious metals industry. And from there, Kinesis was really born because ABX is a centralized market meaning it's the buyer to every seller and seller to every buyer. Basically, the blockchain just, it offered a new model, a model that was highly efficient and could ultimately connect different parties all around the world. And I'm a little bit of a monetary historian. I wrote uh, a big thesis back in 2010 on, you know, basically the state of the economy and, and also how our monetary system looks. And I identified a lot of problems in the banking system and also in in the fiat currency. Um, Can we talk about those, well. Tom? Can we dig into some of those problems? Because we talk about problems in banking all the time here. What are some of sure. the problems that you saw in that thesis? Okay, yeah, sure. So ultimately, uh, you know, the world is laden with debt, and because of that, we're financing. Well, governments are financing their debt through money printing, quantitative easing, as it's called. This is ultimately diluting or debasing the value of money all around the world in different uh, economies and monetary systems all around the world. Now, I mean, money is created by like privately owned central banks, which uh, ultimately give the money to commercial banks or the government. And that's how it gets out into the system. It's very directional. It goes to the banks and then out into the populace and then goes back to the banks. And you take away all the debt in the world, then you have no money, ultimately. And so it's just really not a good deal for the average person. I mean, the way that the banking system works, it's called the the fractional banking system. The way that it works is we go and give our money, we deposit it with a bank, and they own our money. It sits on their balance sheet, and they can do whatever they like with it. 
And so in, in our environment at the moment, we're getting negligible return for actually giving our money to the banks and they can do whatever they want with it. In Switzerland, for example, it's a, a negative 0.75% interest rate. So you give your money to the bank, you pay the bank for giving your money to the bank, <laughs> and then and then they can do whatever they like with it anyway. So, I mean, what the blockchain has enabled us to do is actually take control of our own money. I'm a big proponent of sound money, which in my view – I mean, the universal sound money, which is actually created by the universe, is gold, independently valued by ancient civilizations all around the world as money for thousands of years, and it's held its value over time. It's the most effective store of value that the world has ever seen as well. This is a very key ingredient to what makes money successful and sustainable. The other big thing which makes money successful and sustainable is for it to be an efficient medium of exchange. So you can efficiently exchange it from one party to the next. Now, in a centralized system or when there's like powerful controlling entities above that can manage or monitor your money, then we lose our liberties. But through a decentralized blockchain system where we can protect even our identity and and transact with people anonymously, but also in a what's dubbed a trustless network. So I know that I will definitely receive and be paid for whatever I send or sell or you know transfer in the system. I don't need to trust that other person. I don't even need to know who they are through a blockchain decentralized system. So they're the two main ingredients of what makes money successful and sustainable. One, it needs to be a store of value. Two, it needs to be an efficient medium of exchange. And that's really what the blockchain has brought. As far as like cryptocurrencies go, in my view, the likes of like Bitcoin and Ethereum, these systems where the value is just simply based on the digital sort of supply of these things. I'm not a great proponent of those at all because I just sort of think it's sort of replacing the current system, the fiat-based system, which uh, has no intrinsic value, with a digital-based system, which also has no intrinsic value. Whereas if we take the, the best of all worlds, then you take sound money and honest money, which is gold and it's the greatest store of value. It has enormous intrinsic value. We all value it across the world. It's universal. So you're talking then, about you're, no, it's all right, Tom. You're talking about bringing the gold standard really in a modern way, like different governments have done, and then different governments have dumped over time. That's correct. You know what the blockchain has done? It's allowed us to re-monetize gold. Obviously, it's not convenient to walk down the street with a gold coin or a little, you know, piece of gold or something like that and try to exchange it. You know, it's pretty easy to get robbed or, you know, it's it's just not a convenient thing to do. Whereas with the blockchain, we can monetize it in digital form. We have all the device, we can put it on the devices that make things efficient, like the mobile phone or, you know, PC or anything like that, or a debit card, which we're offering as well. So all the modern new age technology and innovation is allowed to be implemented and applied to what we're doing. In addition to that, there's a principle out there called Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law means in in an environment where there's two competing monetary systems or competing forms of money. So in the US, we've got US dollar. And let's say, you know, a competing form's gold. Now, if someone makes the decision to 
invest in gold or they're making a decision to exchange their US dollars for gold. That means they value gold higher than what they do US dollars. So why would they then want to use it as a payment currency? So what you find is when one currency is valued higher than another currency, then it's hoarded. People want to hang on to it and they don't want to spend it. So we've looked to incentivize and reward spending our currency. And in doing that, we've brought this third dimension, which goes beyond any other form of money or monetary system out there, which is a yield system. Basically, we reward people for spending the money. People get a yield, a return, a financial return in perpetuity forever by actually spending the money. Basically, our system calculates, it it records every single unit of value, kinesis coin or or subdivision of a kinesis coin that's ever used in the system. And people actually get a non-debt-based yield. What it is is the sharing of the transaction fees of the entire system. So the more you spend, the more money you actually receive from the system. That's only one form of yield. You also get a yield just by holding it as well, just like a bank deposit. But our yields are going to be higher than bank deposits based on all of our estimates. It's all got to do with the, it's called money velocity, the transactions that go through the system. Yeah, it's interesting because hearing you talk about it, Tom, I'm wondering where the money comes from to pay me to go shop so that I can make more money. By the way, this sounds like something that I have friends who aren't very frugal would like. Uh, Hey, I shop more and I make more money. It doesn't work that way. But you're saying transaction using the currency helps sustain the currency, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, it takes a little while to get your mind around it because this technology has enabled something that has never been enabled before. And so it it effectively operates a little bit like, say, a airline's reward system, but you keep on receiving benefits. So say, for example, in one year, I spend $50,000 of uh, Kinesis coins in our system, then that $50,000 will sit in the system and keep on receiving a share of the transaction fees of the system forever. And the transaction fees, uh, 0.45% charged to the sender or the seller or the spender when they transact in our system, that's all calculated. And then they get a proportional share with uh, up against all others like uh, spenders or senders or sellers in our system of the transaction fees. So every time there's a transaction, a portion of the transaction fee goes back to, we call them minters people who actually create their own currency and then send, spend, or sell it. Once you do that, then basically that money goes out there and you keep on receiving a yield. Paid monthly, it comes back to you. So um, it's an interesting system. What it does is promote spending. So you can have a very stable and effective store of value money, in this case gold. It doesn't need to be inflated or devalued the way that current sort of uh, policymakers do it. And, you know, there's not the fear that prices are going to go up. So, you know, like house prices, for example, might stay stable. But I'm still incentivized to actually spend and, and economic activity is still incentivized and promoted within the system. We've seen over the past a couple months, many cryptocurrencies just completely wipe out, go under. It seems like, back to your point, what you're trying to solve partly is a problem that they had, which is the unit has no value. With, with a system that's backed by gold, I think it'd be much more difficult to have Kinesis coins go to zero. Yeah, no, it's, it's not possible. I mean, it's tied directly 
to gold. It actually is our currency is not a cryptocurrency. We're using cryptocurrency technology and yeah. blockchain technology, but what our currency actually is is divisible units that go down to you know very small units of value of gold and of silver. We've got both gold and silver. And then um, we incentivize everyone to participate. At the end of the day, we're actually a closed-loop monetary system with various different components. Anyone who actually uses money can benefit from it. So we have a, at the very top, we have this primary market where people basically go and buy these coins and mint them and bring them into life. And then it's emitted down into the blockchain immediately. And it goes into their wallet. And this wallet is just like a bank account. You can use it in the blockchain. It actually also connects up to what, I mean, we have a mobile bank that we've done a partnership with where you can just you know, operate it like a bank account. You get a debit card. You can use that debit card at the shops and debits your, uh, your Kinesis holdings. Or you can convert it to US dollars, euros, or whatever other currency. You can actually hold it in any currency all around the world pretty much. And it just operates like a bank account. And a business can use it as well and pay their employees with it. Then we've got an exchange and also a commercial center where there's merchants and you can interact directly with the merchants. Let me ask you some questions about uh, some of the things that you just said, because I'd like some clarification. The first one is, sure. you know, you talked about the wallet. We've done some stories before about people. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about... Mount Gax, I believe it was called, where all of a sudden money's just missing from these wallets. Yep. Uh, money's disappeared. How does an investor or a saver, how do they make sure that their money is in a safe place and that doesn't happen to them? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the way that the Mount Gox exchange worked, which is the way that most cryptocurrency exchanges work, is they're actually off. They're called off-chain exchanges. So to actually participate in that exchange, you've got to send them your cryptocurrency and it just sits in their own house account. So in their treasury account, they own it. It's just operating like a bank, really. Whereas the exchange that we're creating and the system that we have at the wallet. But you're saying, Tom, sorry. not to cut you off, but, but, but so what you're saying is essentially in that case, the bank got robbed. Yeah, that's it. Gotcha. Okay. So, the same reason why John Dillinger used to rob banks, because that's where the money was. This, <laughs> this is why Mount Gox got robbed, because that's where the money was. I got you. Okay. So, yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah. So the system that we have, everyone holds their own wallet in a very safe and secure, security protected like wallet that they have their own logins and that sort of thing. And they own, they own their currency. Now, if people want to be super, super secure about it, then they can actually take it completely off their computer and away from the online environment, the internet, and store it on a USB drive or store it on another device that's offline. You know, you have to make sure the device doesn't get <laughs> stolen. <laughs> but, but I'm, that, the guy, I'm the guy yeah, that would not. lose that USB. I, yeah. I would totally, you know, 20 years from now, it's going to be in the bottom of some cupboard and I'm going to go, damn, there's my money. <laughs> yeah, it's something like Yeah, so you have to be careful. Like, ultimately, our system is a system of shared economic wealth and we're great proponents of like fair, honest and sound money. We sort of provide a value proposition to different sectors, whether it be the banking sector. We bring enormous efficiencies, both cost savings, time efficiencies. The system that we've developed, transaction times are like three to five seconds and around a minimum of 3,000 transactions can go through a second. 
And and we've got deals with postal systems around the world, one with like um, uh, the Indonesian postal systems, with large exchanges like Deutsche Borsa and the like. So we're going to need this sort of capacity to put everything through. We also, you know, really appeal. We're actually creating like a new investment asset class to compete with the conventional asset classes that provide a passive yield, like bank deposits, bonds, dividend yielding stocks on the stock market, or rental property investments. Now, if you think about it, all those asset classes that I just named, they either are debt or they're completely laden with debt. Whereas our system, we have just gold. There's no debt attached to gold. And then the yield comes from true economic activity. It's a very complex architecture and infrastructure that we've set up. Tens of millions of dollars have gone into this already. You know, ABX, a lot of the technology came out of ABX, um, which was founded in 2011. So we're not just a startup company. We've been around for a long time. Kinesis is Greek for movement. What I really like about the name is it's a biological definition, which is undirectional movement from stimulus. So as opposed to, say, the fractional banking system using fiat money, US dollars, where the money comes very directionally sort of out through the banks to the people and then back to the banks ultimately in a full debt-based system, we hand over power of the money supply within our system to the people. People own their money and it moves around in an undirectional manner according to people's own individual performance, but also the performance of the entire system. It hands the power back to the people and it's a a people-centric monetary system. It looks like, give or take, there's about 24 days until the Kinesis Velocity token pre-sale ends. Tell me what the idea is of a pre-sale and then is that when Kinesis actually launches? Yes, certainly. So the Kinesis Velocity token. Now, this is a different offer to what we've actually been talking about before. So the Kinesis Velocity token, it allows people to buy into the success of the system from the early stage. And what they're doing is buying into a a cumulative 20% share of all transaction fees and, and top line revenue of the entire system. So we really have two offers. The offer open at the moment is the uh, Kinesis Velocity token. It's a it's an investment. This isn't money. This is an investment, um, gotcha. and you're investing in the success of the system, and that Got that you. raises capital for the Kinesis system and and company to effectively commercialize the business, to roll it out globally, to get in the masses to make it successful. Gotcha. The next offer. Where do people go to get the actual money, the Kinesis money? The first stage of rollout with that is in November. We go into pre-sale there where people can start investing in the precious metal-based money. From there, it's a full system rollout on uh, March next year. Seems like a long way away, but time goes quickly. There's big benefits for early adopters. So if you get involved in November and you mint these coins, then um, you'll get a higher proportion of the transaction fees when, when it comes time to roll everything out next March. Gotcha. The site is kinesis.money. I want to have you back on in November, Tom, if you're up for it, to see how things are rolling out because the birth of a brand new system is so interesting to us and uh congratulations on all the work you've done so far 
Kinesis.money is the site. If you're driving in your car or you're walking the dog, we've got you covered. Head to stackybedjamins.com. Our show notes page will have a link uh, for everyone. Tom, thanks for hanging out and uh, taking a little time in your busy schedule. You're a hard guy to get a hold of, by the way. We've been trying to do this for a long time. We have been. I apologize for being so elusive. No, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's good to be uh, spending some time with you in this den of yours, but uh, (laughs) thanks a lot, Joe. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Duggan. After listening to Tom, I think it's in all our best interest to create some blockchain, don't you? I've already got the Legos, and in a second, I'm going to start chaining these babies together. Not sure how that's a moneymaker, but nobody ever said old Doug isn't willing to try new things. But first, let's hand over your blockchain-themed trivia, shall we? Here's your question. What year did the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto implement the first blockchain i'll be back with your answer right after i open this first set of blocks we're super excited to have nutrafol on board supporting stacky benjamins nutrafol is a vitamin made with nutraceutical grade ingredients shown to improve thinning hair nutrafol does this by nourishing your hair health from within through supplements that are 100 drug-free In fact, Cheryl, my spouse, works in the medical industry and immediately grabbed my Nutrafol when I got it. Beautiful packaging, by the way. Didn't you like those boxes? I did. Uh, uh, So she immediately grabbed it. She looked at the ingredients and you know the first thing she said? That's good. These are all natural ingredients. She's like, these are all vitamins. But don't take Cheryl's word for it. Right. Take science and industries word for it. Science and research has changed the way we think about hair and its relationship to our overall health. For example, for women, stress plays a huge role in hair thinning. For men, DHT levels from testosterone, diet, and environmental toxins comprise hair health. I can go along with that. I've had the environmental toxin of working with OG for a long time, so I'm uh, now going to start restoring my hair to its health. (laughs) It's not the mold. You're right. Nutrafol science. Scientists and researchers have worked for years to come up with a natural formula that multi-targets causes while improving hair health. It's available in two distinct formulas for men and women that suit gender-specific metabolic needs. It's recommended by over 850 top physicians and some of the top salons in the country. Manufactured in the U.S., it contains no GMO, soy, eggs, dairy, gluten, peanuts, shellfish, tree nuts, wheat, yeast, artificial flavors, or colors. You can find more clarifications if you need them on the very, very extensive frequently asked questions because people always have questions about this stuff. I certainly did. Cheryl working in the medical industry certainly did. And uh, I've been loving it. And I think even though Cheryl tells me it's too early to know, I think my hair's getting stronger. Let me feel. Once again, please don't. Get your first month's supply with a subscription plan for 10 bucks by visiting Nutrafol.com and use promo code SB during checkout. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code SB. Thanks also to Slack. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do, whether it's making podcasts, working for the man, being an entrepreneur, whatever you do, Slack helps the right people in your team stay in the loop and the information they need is always at their fingertips. I just joined a new Slack work group, OG, for the Plutus Awards. I'm going to be a judge in some areas on the Plutus and I'm excited about that, but it makes it super easy 
for us to get organized there too. So now I'm a part of three different workspaces, the Stacking Benjamin space, the FinCon space, and the Plutus Awards space. But it's all- Judge, jury, and executioner. There it is. And it's all in one space. Slack is awesome. Slack happens in channels so I can organize my conversations between those three groups and all the people involved in each of those organizations around projects, offices, and teams because everything I need is all in that place. I don't have to go back and forth between places. With Slack, our team is better connected. Find out more at slack.com. Slack improves productivity, saves you time. No more searching through a bunch of emails for that one follow-up or searching through multiple systems to find what you're looking for. You don't have to switch across a ton of tabs and platforms to keep your work updated. Also, by the way, Slack can be tailored to your work because there's more than a thousand apps and there's a mobile app on iOS and Android that syncs seamlessly with your desktop so you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you're at. Slack, where work happens, learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Howdy, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today's guest, Tom, must be a whiz-bang at cryptocurrencies because I tell you, I can't for the life of me figure out how to keep all these Lego blockchains together. Maybe he uses glue. Huh. I'll figure that out, but let's chain together your trivia answer, shall we? Here was the question. In what year did the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto implement the first blockchain? While the person, or maybe group of people, Satoshi Nakamoto first conceptualized their blockchain in 2008, it wasn't until the following year, 2009, that it was implemented by Nakamoto as a core component of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Hmm, well, I don't get all this cryptocurrency mumbo-jumbo, but I do know this. If Joe's mom sees what a mess we've made out of this blockchain all over the basement floor and she steps on it, she ain't gonna be happy. <laughs> and if Joe's mama ain't happy, see ya. Thanks again to Tom for stopping by. It still is the Wild West, man. But I love this idea of coupling a crypto with metals again. It's like, you know, we used to have the gold standard. And now What's old is new again? Yeah, the gold standard for cryptocurrency now coming out. How about that? Hmm. Who yeah. knows? Good luck to them, though. I know. But- I wonder if Len will take that. <laughs> it's a gold crypto. Yeah, it, it totally seems to fit his wheelhouse, doesn't it? Although he kind of likes it uh, Maybe. underneath his bed. He likes right? to touch it. Yeah. Yes. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Crypto. 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 But um, bring. It's actually your loved ones and your time, by the way, but probably a little better. It's why they created a modern way to buy quality term life insurance. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Actually, not better. I'd say less volatile. Depends on the day with your family, though. I've had days when my family's a little volatile. It happens when you have little chitlins running around here. Some coping going on sometimes. I can't do long division. Is that you? Is that what you're saying? Yes, <laughs> it totally is. Asking you for help. My kids are like, Dad, it's cool. Let me show you. It's not that hard, it's just, Dad. It's, it's just really, you just do small numbers. How can they change math from from The Incredibles? Yeah. 
Yeah. Stackyourbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Prices that are affordable, applications super easy to complete online, and they offer an instant coverage decision in most cases. No waiting several weeks for the decision. I like that. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline to our good friend, John. We've known John for a while. Say hello, John. Hi, John. I was calling because I need a little bit of help. I've never had a problem. I would imagine, like most of your listeners, investing money in the markets or trying to save money. My bigger problem is is for long-term goals and planning. When you've had clients who've come to you and aren't sure what their long-term future needs are going to look like, how did you help them walk through what kind of things they should be considered? Always appreciate the information that you guys have. Thanks very much. John, I like how John's listening to the show enough that he knows I'm going to say, say hello, John. So he starts off with, <laughs> hi, John. Nice job. Let's help John out because sometimes you're right, OG. Clients have a hard time crystallizing the goals. And I found it amazing when I was a financial planner, how often they weren't ready for that question. You know, when you start off a meeting with what do you want to achieve and they get that glazed look in their eye, where do you go from there? I think the easiest thing to do is to start with where you are today whatever you have going on in your life, let's just assume that it's going to happen again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. I don't know anybody who thinks about retirement and says, you know what I want to do? I want to do everything I was doing the day before I quit my job, but only 70% of that. And that's the problem that I have with the online calculators that say, oh, you need 80% of your income. You need 70% of your income. You need 90%. Why would you want to quit your job if you're going to have 80% of the stuff that you were doing yesterday, I'll go out to eat 80% less. I'll play 80% less golf and 80% less travel. Bull crap. I don't think that's where that number comes from though. Oh, I know. But you tell me what goes away and what you don't replace it with. So you go, well, I'm not going to have to work anymore. So you're not commuting. I get that. No more uniform for the job. Sure. But now you're going to replace that with something else. Probably. So a good place to start with the, how do I create goals for myself, especially if they're financial, like how do I think about what I need in 30 years from now, would be to say, take what you're spending right now and just add inflation to it. Let's see if you can do it based on that. Because in reality, that's going to be pretty close. I like that idea because I also like this discussion. Well, I didn't like it at the time, but the discussion I had with my dad, I was a fairly new financial planner. I was telling my dad that he needed a financial plan, right? And my son thinks it's like the new car salesman thinking everybody needs a car. So he's like, yeah, I don't think that's the case. I don't think I need that stuff. No, that's fine. Worked for GM my whole life. Everything's going great. When I finally convinced him to talk about it, A, he didn't want to talk with it about his financials with his kid. That's number one. But number two was my dad said, why are we going to plan all this stuff if it's just going to change next year or change the year after that? What if I change my mind? I'm putting all this stuff in stone. I'm like, no, it's not in stone. Nothing's in stone. But when you take a trip on an airplane, you head off in the general direction of Hawaii and then forces hit, right? Wind, maybe you got to go around a storm, different things happen. And so you correct course but at least you're headed in that general direction. What about the whole dreaming part though? What if, what if somebody like John has a hard time crystallizing what he think he might want to do? A couple of great exercises there. Think about it like this. You go to the doctor, doctor says, bad news, you've got 10 years to live. What are you going to fill the next 10 years with? Some of those questions we did on the round table 
a couple weeks ago. What if, what if you've got five years to live? What if you've got a month? And start whittling those answers down and be honest with yourself. Every day is a choice to decide what you want to focus on and what you want to put your attention on. My two favorite books right now, outside of The War of Art, is Essentialism and The Crossroads of Should and Must. Those are my two favorite ones right now that I'm thumbing through repeatedly. And I think it kind of gets to the heart of this, which is, I understand it's difficult to imagine what you're going to do when you're 92, but you can put the activities into some big buckets. How do you want your spiritual life to be, if you're into that? How do you want your family life to be? How do you want your financial life to be? And how do you want to be around friends and socially? If you can think about that just at a big picture, like I want to be financially secure, I want to have great relationships with my family, I want to be close to you know, friends in my community. Well, you can fill in the, like the minutia of that at a later time, but that gives you the direction of if money wasn't an option, what would I choose to do with my life today? Because eventually you'll get to that spot. Hopefully. (laughs) One mistake I find financial planners make is if a client is struggling with their goals. And I have to admit, I did this early in my career. I'd start kind of filling in what other people think. Well, what if you wanted to, maybe you want to do that. I think, oh, gee, it's our job to sit back and do more of what you're talking about. Shut up and ask questions. That's it. Yeah. You have to get to it. I mean, what if you hit the scratch off tomorrow and you never have to work another day? I mean, that's really what financial independence is, right? It's just a long lottery game with a little better odds. Thanks for the question, John. We have a letter that we just received here in the basement. This comes to us from our friend, Abby. Abby's commenting on the Friday episode where we talked about the fire movement. Remember that one and about how some fire bloggers do not. Fire, by the way, for people new to this, is financial independence, retire early movement. From a couple weeks ago, we talked about this. This is when Dana Ansbach joined us. Abby said, Friday's episode, this is it, exclamation point. You know, G tap dance around this topic all the time, and your roundtable team began to finally scratch the surface today. Specifically, she says, when it comes to financial independence, retire early, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I believe all of us pursuing financial independence and those who have already achieved it even are hitting the same mental block. Should this really be the goal, although saving 50% of your income can't be a bad thing, right? That that is a great question, isn't it? Should that really be a goal? I mean, what if you what if you pass away? There's a little bit of balance needed here, isn't there, OG? What if you're aggressively saving every dime you get for this future that might come later and that future never comes? I like to say with clients that I think there's two great crimes in the financial planning world. And the first crime is the one that gets all the press, which is undersaving. You get to age 65. You've met with clients that have done this to you, and I do on occasion too, where it's they get to 60 and they go, hey, I'd like to retire in like three years. And you go, excellent. How much have you saved? Nothing. Under saving throughout your entire life. You just consume, 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 never planted anything for the future. Great crime. Everybody talks about it. That's the crux of just about all financial planning work. The second great crime, which doesn't get as much press, but is as detrimental to your long-term well-being is oversaving. And it doesn't happen as much and you don't hear about it as much. But then we do those stories on occasion where you know we Aunt Susie dies with eight and a half million dollars in the bank. And I'd say never took her kids to Disney World. 
And I get that Disney is expensive and there's all sorts of other places that you could go that provide the same utility for much lower costs. I got all that, but I use that as an example. Yeah. I didn't want to go to Disney the first time either. I was like, I'm checking a box as a father. We're going to go to Disney. And I walk in and the guy in the big tuxedo and the big top hat goes, hello, welcome home, sir. And I said, hi. And he says, can I help you? And I said, we're checking in. He says, well, of course you are. What's your name? And I said, the OG family. And he says, right this way. And he walks me up and they said, we have your packet already. And it was like totally Disney magic, right? I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. I'll take it. And so, yeah, what we discussed, you could say, well, that's that was a $5,000 trip. I don't know how much it cost, but let's say it was $5,000 to go to Disney for that week, right? Between all the food and costs and travel and all that stuff. Okay. The rule of 72 says that that $5,000 would be worth $200,000 in your retirement. You just gave up a quarter million dollars. I got all that. But I also have a memory that my kids will never forget, and neither will I. And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I still live life, right? And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be Disney. I mean, I go back to the Vicki Robin interview where she talks about this ratio. How many units of joy are you getting per dollar? And to your point, Disney gave you a crap load of units of joy for the dollar spent. It's expensive, but that's because for you, it was a ton of units of joy. And I think people defer joy, and that may be a mistake. We have people on that are able to live frugally today and still have their joy meter very high. Yeah, that's that's the goal. That is the goal. Yeah, that's that's where it's at. She also says, and this was my favorite quote. You and I talked about this quote off air that Dana said, because I think she nailed it. Quote, what about living a life well worked? What's wrong with that? And Abby says, Dana nailed that. I totally agree. The number one issue, people hate their jobs and careers. Why? How can we improve what we do with our time versus say, I just want to get the hell out, right? I'm going to spend all this time in this job I hate socking away money for this future that might suck just a little bit less than what I'm doing now. What if I decided instead, crazy talk here, to make my job suck less? Yep. And she said, Paula's no on stop reading blogs and focus on your own life values and goals. Nailed that one too. Fist bump. Yes. She said it was a perfect follow-up to the Monday before that's episode. Thanks, Abby. Glad you liked it. We had a lot of fun talking about that. And I think that, man, for as exciting as this whole fire movement is, and I love it. Don't take any of this criticism the wrong way because I flip and love it. People wanting to be- Yes, I will totally retire early. If I hit the mega millions for like 200 million, (laughs) I will be out of here. I assure you. But still people aspiring for more is much better than people chasing the American dream with a credit card and then realizing later it was all a lie. Love, love the fire movement for that. Just absolutely always uh, tweaks and balances. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this here show. This one's going on mom's fridge. Perfectly adequate five-star show. Five stars is the headline from Podcast Aficionado. And all the Podcast Aficionado wrote, don't ask me why, but I listen three days a week. Five stars. That's it. That's all you need to do. Mom loves it. Thank you very much. And lastly, if you're somebody looking for help in your corner with your financial planning, OG's taking clients, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G for his calendar to talk about the next steps with him. All right, that's going to do it for today. Stick a fork in it. This one's done. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? So what did we learn today? First, thinking about cryptocurrencies, maybe Thomas has a point. 
Should cryptocurrencies be tied to a standard like gold or another asset? It's an interesting idea, and with the Kinesis upcoming launch, we'll have a front row seat to see it in action. Second, sure, Wells Fargo won a lawsuit about their target date funds, but maybe you should still check the expense inside of yours. Ask your human resources department for internal cost information about the funds in your plan at work, or maybe better yet, use a site like Morningstar.com to look it up yourself. It isn't very difficult, but the big lesson? When implementing your own blockchain, I'm thinking the mega blocks are the way to go. I've already stepped on three of these Lego blocks, and man, do they leave a mark on the bottom of your foot. Woo! Special thanks to Thomas Coughlin. You can find out more about Kinesis at kinesis.money or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. What are you still doing here? The show is over. Go home. I went to see a movie, first movie I went to see without my movie pass because they had the time I wanted to go see it grayed out. Thanks, movie pass. So you're anti-movie pass now? I'm not anti-movie pass. I've said I'm done. I'm not officially done. I haven't canceled it yet. But um, if this happens much longer, I, I'm going to have to let it go. But we saw this little movie starring Mia Kunis and Kate McKinnon, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Boyfriend. But he dumped me. Drew's CIA. I'm sorry, what?
Some bad people are after me. Now they're after you. Why is this happening? I don't know, because you dated a spy. I-5, up here! It's a new day. It's a flash drive. You have to swallow it before they come back. There is no turning back for us. We're semi-professionals at this point. Professional. We are professional. Uh, they pretty much aren't professionals ever during the movie. But in this romp about a woman who is dumped via text message by her boyfriend, she suddenly realizes that uh, he is a spy, as they said in the clip, working for the CIA, and they're embroiled in a mess, she and her BFF, the character played by Kate McKinnon, that takes them all over Europe on this ridiculous chase. Uh, let's just cut to the chase. I thought this movie was, you know, when a when a movie gets a <laughs> let's cut to the chase. I thought this movie. But was, let's not know, hold on. Let me tell you another story. Hold on. Let me interrupt my cut to the chase with another cut away from the chase. Do you read the Rotten Tomatoes differently based on what type of movie it is? Because I do. Like if it's, I don't read it at all. You don't. If it's a drama, I want it to be in the. 80s, maybe high 70s, but 80s or 90s before I go see it. If it's a comedy and it's in the 40s, generally, I still kind of like it. So this movie was like a 47% when I went and saw it. I'm not sure what it is now. So I thought, all right, this is going to be kind of fun. Kate McKinnon, like her on Saturday Night Live, think that's pretty fun. Mia Kunis always has some fun movies. She's in some fun movies. Great time. Not so much. This movie was kind of stupid, and I felt like every time Kate McKinnon's character talks, some of the dumbest crap comes out. Like I think that, that Kate McKinnon can be really funny. She wasn't at all funny in this movie. They're just, I felt like there were too many times where the director must have said, okay, we're going to have you riff and just do some funny stuff now. And so Kate does some stuff. And you're like, yeah, I don't know whose idea it was to have her do that at this part of the movie. Near the end of the the film, of course, the climactic part where they're in a museum going after the bad, bad people. For some reason, Kate McKinnon wants to get on this high wire where the performers at this fundraiser in this museum are performing. And at the very beginning, she goes, ooh, the high wire. I want to get up on that. There's no freaking reason. They're there to catch a crook. And Every other character involved on their side of the argument, they're all talking to each other on their headphones. And they're like, yeah, don't do that. Don't go up on that. She's like, oh, but the allure. But the, she doesn't even have a good reason to want to do it. And she still goes up on the damn high wire. Of course, that sets up a scene where the bad person is that she's going to now fight against on the high wire. But she didn't know that going in. They never gave the audience any reason why she'd do it. Just one dumb scene in a movie full of dumb scenes. And there's sometimes that I like dumb scenes, like the whole movie of Uncle Drew was one dumb scene after another. But I kind of had low expectations there. Maybe this is where expectations mattered. Like when I went to see Uncle Drew, I didn't have really high expectations. I thought I was going to have some fun watching some basketball players, you know, pretend that they're actors. And it was fun. It was stupid and it was fun. This movie, I went in going, oh, a top-rate comedian? top-ranked actress, this is going to be quite a wild ride. Yeah, not at all. So, thumb down. Don't go see The Spy Who Dumped Me. Okie dokie. 
Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.